Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm your host, Mike Brancatelli. Welcome to the show. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, usually what we do on this show, what we try and do is explore a lot of big topics and big ideas in, in our world with a uh, psychedelic point of view or a psychedelic mindedness and always a focus on cognitive liberty, the freedom to explore our own consciousness and be free and have free thought and free expression and free speech because freedom is so important, right? I mean, that's what we try and we'll focus on here at Mikeadelic. And uh, today, today's uh, guest is Robbie Martin. Uh, Robbie Martin is a filmmaker. Uh, he put out a documentary series called A Very Heavy Agenda, exploring, um, you know, the, the neoconservative... Uh, kind of influence in, into foreign policy. And uh, it's a great uh, film series. Uh, go check it out. And we're going to put the links to all that stuff in the in the show notes. Robbie's also a co-host of Media Roots with his sister, Abby Martin. Uh, and, and Media Roots is a uh, great uh, podcast and resource, uh, mediaroots.org, where uh, they, they stand for reporting from outside party lines. So I can get behind that, right? And so, yeah, today's today's discussion is going to be about uh, foreign policy and and global kind of uh, uh, politics, geopolitics. And so, Robbie, uh, join me to to talk about this kind of stuff, because you know, honestly, it could be very confusing to to a lot of people who aren't really paying attention to what's going on in the world. And you know, I think that uh, our, the current climate that we find ourselves in uh, is lending a little bit of an opportunity now more than ever to uh, to come together on an important issue that I think that has been kind of omnipresent for, for all of my life, and that issue is the issue of war, quote-unquote war, or, you know, just uh, the, the expansion of our empire and our global death march across the, the world to 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 influence and shape things in the, in the way that... Uh, that uh, we want them to be. And so uh, we, we talk about, you know, what, what, what that is and, and, what, and why this is happening and, and what we can do about it. And, uh, you know, it's a great discussion. I really enjoyed talking with Robbie. I think that, uh, you know, he's got such a, a deep uh, understanding of the intricacies of all of this kind of uh, the, the, this neocon ideology and this uh, kind of aggressive uh, expansionist foreign policy that we, that, that seems to be so, uh, just kind of normalized in in our lives, and I think a lot of people maybe that listen to this show have uh, grown up, in, you know, in the same kind of time period, uh, the same kind of uh, coming of age, uh, you know, where where I was a teenager uh, when nine eleven happened, and uh, you know, so we've grown up in this environment where this is the new normal, where we're just constantly at war, we're constantly. Uh, bombing. We're con there's, you know, you hear strategic uh, drone strikes and these sorts of things, and we don't even really bat an eye to it anymore. The the large anti-war movement that was under George W. Bush has seemed to fade it away during the Obama administration. But hopefully now, maybe there can be a resurgency in that movement, and we can start to see some opposition. And I know there's a lot of people that that claim that they resist Trump and maybe they'll march about Trump not releasing his taxes or whatever. But is that really 
the most important thing to oppose right now? Is that really what we should resist right now? I don't think so. I think the resistance is resisting the power structure that we seem to always inevitably uh, fall back into allowing these people to take power, rise to power, and get away with the sorts of things that they are getting away with in our name. And you'll hear Robbie talk about that on today's episode. So without further ado, we're going to hop into this conversation. But before I do, I will just say real quickly, Shout out to all the people that are supporting me on Patreon. Really appreciate all of your support. Uh, if you want to go support me on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank and you can support me there. If you can't support me on Patreon or you just don't want to for whatever reason, you can uh, just leave me a iTunes rating and review. iTunes ratings and reviews really help the show. Uh, we've gotten a lot of them so far and they're all positive and I really love it. I love uh, who doesn't love reading nice things about them, you know? So if, uh, if you want to support the show, if you get value from this show and you feel like, uh, you know, just sharing your, your love and support, you know, please uh, like it, share it with friends. And, uh, you know, if you can write a little positive rating and review, five-star rating and review. And if you, if you, uh, are so generous, go over to uh, Patreon patreon.com slash Mike Brank, B-R-A-N-C, and you can support us that way. Every little bit counts, folks. Every little bit counts. For a dollar a day, you can help feed this child, who is me, not a child. But <laughs> anyway, here we go. Robbie Martin. Enjoy. Psychedelics are illegal, not because... A loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Of Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the, opportunity. the opportunity. The opportunity. So yeah, Robbie Martin is here with me today. Robbie Martin, the co-host of Media Roots and filmmaker of the documentary A Very Heavy Agenda. Robbie, thanks for joining me today, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Yeah, we've been so like I, you know, we were talking before I started recording and you know, we've been kind of going back and forth on Twitter. We seem to share the same uh, the same concern for our uh, foreign policy. Uh, or the you know just these these crooks in in DC and the kind of things that they're meddling getting getting into and uh, and uh, yeah and and uh, it's good to have you on and talk to you about this stuff. I think that uh, you know a lot of people say, oh you know this is a this is an important time to talk about this stuff you know but now more than ever. But uh, as you know, this has uh, been going on for quite some time, right? The uh, the kind of situations that uh, that we get ourselves in in the world, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's been 
going on as long as I've been alive. Um, but I mean, it really took a drastic, you know, dive off the deep end with after 9/11. So that's was kind of my political awakening, so to speak. Was you know that was a very pivotal moment for me. And then of course the Iraq War, and then you know since then it's never stopped. I mean, we're in an essentially an infinite war against an enemy we can't see or define. You know, a, a war against a tactic terror. So yeah, right. it's pretty pretty bad. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and 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 you you mentioned nine eleven. I mean, I'm I'm sure everybody remembers where they were on nine eleven. Uh, do you remember where you were on nine eleven? Yeah, I was uh, I was asleep, um, and I got a. I live on the west coast, so by the time uh, you know the second tower was hit by a plane, uh, it was like, you know, I think it happened around six in the morning, mm-hmm. my time. So. I was deep asleep and I got woken up by a call from my mom, you know, basically telling me to turn on the TV right now uh, that America was under attack. And I was like, who, you know, the first thing I asked her was who did it? And I remember that this is one of the more interesting things I remember from 9-11 was she told me Palestinians did it. And I was like, wow, Palestinian, you know, that's that's pretty crazy. And then I found out later in the day that that was kind of more of a, a false um, rumor that it got replaced with bin Laden did it. But, uh, one of the things I did in my documentary film, a very heavy agenda was I tried to go back to the day and actually comb through where that rumor came from, um, that Palestinians did the attack. So that's a whole, for some reason, that's a, I, I'm very fixated on that aspect, Ryan 11. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something I didn't really look at closer before, but, you know, I also remembered things that, you know, later became sort of truth or lore. Like I remembered building seven from the day of, of nine 11 and stuff like that. So I have a weird different sort of memory of it than, than a lot of other people. And I even, I, 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 I guess I'm a little proud of this. I'll toot, toot my own horn a bit on the fact that I was anti the Afghanistan war from like day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't just because I, I wasn't a vehement anti-war person back then. It was, probably in large part um, to the fact that I was dating someone who was uh, who lived in Japan, who had Japanese citizenship, and they saw sort of the American foreign policy and political climate very differently than most Americans did at the time. And, uh, you know, she was, you know, she had taken me to the Hiroshima Museum a year earlier. Um, mm-hmm. And that actually kind of primed me, I think, for like, really questioning things, you know, questioning the conventional wisdom that our government tells us. Right. So it was a combination of factors, but yeah, that was, that was my awakening. And, uh, I, I never really stopped from there except I just didn't have the knowledge back then to like, you know, really be able to debate people and things like that. I just sort of, it was more like my intuition, my, like a gut feeling. Um, and so just sort of over the years, I've been trying to, you know, learn as much as I can and, and actually be able to contribute something to fight against it. So, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, you definitely have made a, a major contribution, um, in my mind. I mean, with your film, a very heavy agenda, uh, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's absolutely incredible, man. I mean, that what, what you've put together here, it really gives like a, a new look into the world of the kind of behind the scenes, somewhat mundane and boring and kind of banal, like 
you know, life of these people who dream up these situations to get us in, you know, think tanks and and all these people that are the kind of, you know, they're they're outside of our public consciousness. When the ordinary person thinks about government and foreign interventions and things like that, they're not thinking about Robert Kagan and Victoria Newland. They don't know who these people are. And I think that you did a tremendous job of of putting together just a, a, a window, like a look into what's going on in this world, in this kind of, this new system of government, I would say, that we live under. You know, this is not the, the system of government that we, that we learn about in, in school, you know, where the, how a bill becomes a law and all this stuff. This is uh, something that has recently added on to the giant apparatus of government in terms of uh, these uh, quote-unquote intellectual people or scholars having major influence in in our in our policies uh both at home and abroad but heavy agenda focuses on the on the abroad uh the foreign policy and <clears throat> and i think that uh i i think first of all just to just to talk about the documentary a little bit more a very heavy agenda um it's a three part series and um you know actually maybe Robbie why don't i just let you you t- tell uh the listeners about it uh, explain uh, a very heavy agenda and, and how it's set up and uh, where people can go and, and see it sure yeah uh, thanks for your kind words about it as well um it's so it's it's a three part documentary series at, at at current it's actually going to be four parts um I know I saw the that end of- the, the teaser for four. I was like, oh my! I, I saw the, the Star Wars teaser dropped a couple days ago, and I was like, ooh, that's exciting. And then I just, I think I went to your like Twitter page, and I saw, I was like, oh, another episode four, <laughs> new trailer, you know? Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this, yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll describe one through three because those are the ones that are actually out that people can watch right now. Yeah, um, please, yeah. So. It, if you're, you know, if your listening audience is familiar with, um, probably most people are familiar with Fahrenheit 9-11 as kind of like the main, most mainstream version of sort of a lesson in, in the neoconservatives and, and, but specifically the, the more famous neoconservatives inside the Bush administration. So Wolfowitz, you know, some of the Ar- Iraq war architects that mm-hmm. were in Bush's cabinet, um, Adam Curtis made a brilliant uh, film series called Power of Nightmares, mm-hmm. um, which is a little more obscure, but that one is all about the neocon philosophy. Um, and it's it's very long, um, and it kind of more just goes over the general neocon philosophy and parallels it with you know, Wahhabism and Islamic fundamentalism, how they actually share similarities um, in sort of their worldview. Mm-hmm. But I... I felt like there wasn't a film yet or a, you know, a documentary yet about who I see as sort of the more dangerous neoconservatives in this country, the sort of the intellectual class of neoconservatives, a lot of them who stay outside of government and who merely advise or who offer suggestions or they consult with people in government to give them ideas on what to do foreign policy wise and 99% of the time, those ideas mean incre- escalating a potential war scenario in some fashion, mm-hmm. whether that means, you know, putting more sanctions on Russia, um, sending NATO troops to Russia's border, um, sending a naval fleet 
Armada to North Korea, which Trump just did, mm-hmm. um, or or bombing Assad, you know, bombing Assad's military base. That's something the neocons, neocon intellectuals have wanted since 2013. Um, they were hugely disappointed when Obama announced that Assad had cra- crossed the red line and that he backed off from it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was the moment when, and this is something that I cover in a very heavy agenda, that the neocons were were there um, to really help solidify the continuity between Bush and Obama. Um, they knew that Obama was inexperienced. Um, he was going to be malleable uh, by many of outside forces. And they kind of foresaw that he would have to, um, almost by necessity, uh, you know, just based on the who he was, continue a lot of the Bush policies. And I'm no way giving Obama an excuse. I think his foreign policy was... Uh, atrocious. Um, but I think that the neocons really, they knew that it was going to be a huge challenge for Obama to actually like reverse the Bush engine. And they jumped in the fray, um, and, and were there encouraging Obama at every turn. So the neocons right when he got into office were like, yeah, send, you know, I think it was, I think Obama sent 30,000 more troops to Afghanistan. Maybe it was actually 70,000. I can't remember the exact number, but they were cheering on his Afghanistan war surge. Um, they were completely on board with the Libya, you know, bombing campaigns that later morphed into regime change, which Obama promised it wasn't going to be regime change. Um, so they were they were completely on board with those things, and they they were actually um, for Obama um, in some ways. They didn't. I don't know if they ever voted for Obama, but it was like at that point in time, what we actually saw happening was. The neocon ideology in D.C. that had been mostly associated with Republicans mm-hmm. and sort of more the right wing side of the spectrum, we started to see it spreading across to the Democrat uh, side of the spectrum to the point where, uh, you know, these neoliberal um, Democrats in D.C. started to adopt and uh, sort of join forces with this neoconservative intellectual class. In DC and Hillary Clinton, I think was the primary um, point person inside Obama's administration who opened the door for that. Right. Um, and we can, you know, you can find a direct link between her and the Project for the New American Century, um, which is the it's the main think tank I sort of, you know, uh, start from in a very heavy agenda, where she hired Robert Kagan uh, to be in the U.S. State Department. Um, during the Obama administration on what she called the Foreign Affairs Policy Board. Right, a, um, uh, a bipartisan initiative, right, as, as she put it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And that's what the neocons were really good at during the Obama administration is they figured out how to create a bipartisan approach with their message, and it worked. Um, I think it worked uh, to their favor to an amazing degree um, to the point where it's almost now impossible to actually say that neoconservatives are either conservatives or they're Republican. You can't even really say that anymore because it has spread so far across the whole spectrum. And I mean, we really saw that uh, in, in a large way with Hillary Clinton's presidential run this, you know, this election. Yeah. Um, how she actually was being endorsed um, by this exact same neocons who were, were behind the Iraq war. I mean, Elliot Cohen... Bill Kristol, um, Robert Kagan actually openly endorsed her for president. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it was, uh, and that was, I mean, and maybe this is, I'm, I may be covering a little bit more of the boring angle of, of my film, but. No, no, this is this all was... interesting stuff because, like you mentioned, <laughs> you know, these were guys, I remember being, you know, in the Bush years, you know, everybody's railing against this kind of foreign policy, and these guys really got tarnished, but then they were managed to rebrand and sneak in and, 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 and sabotage some of the ideologies of, of, the, uh, of the left, or, or, you know, so to speak. But no, go ahead, go, continue. Sorry to interrupt, but. Yeah, I mean, they, they, and this is not to say that, um, like it's it's one of those things where you know now people will be like well the neocon you know people will still say the neocons are gone you know now it's the democrats who are the hawks and that's and i think on the surface that actually seems true but what's really happening is um the neocons are extremely influential still in the way that in in the way that people see the world in dc um, this idea that it's America's role, essentially, to be the world's police force and that, you know, we need to maintain this world order system that America has been in charge of since the end of World War II, that sort of dogma has infected everyone. Mm-hmm. And and people like Robert Kagan, um, they're different than other neocons in the sense that Robert Kagan actually creates a framework to make it appear that America has always been neoconservative and it's not some kind of, you know, mutation or arboration of what the Bush administration did, that it's actually, that's very in line with America's sort of modus operandi since World War II. And he'll sort of try to rewrite history to make people feel like, you know, well, yeah, this really actually isn't that different or abhorrent. This is sort of the normal way we do things. And he 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 sort of emphasizes that bipartisan foreign policy consensus. That's a point he'll often make, and it's illustrated perfectly with his wife, uh, Victoria Newland, mm-hmm. who she is supposed to be nonpartisan. You know, she she has been in the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, the Obama administration. Um, she's not in the Trump administration. Um, I think she actually resigned, kind of out of protest, um, but. She uh, has been instrumental um, in this sort of new Cold War escalation, and she did it while working under Obama. Um, and it, I mean, there are just so many more or <laughs> things I could say about it. But basically, I think I think people who listen to your show would be interested to watch it if they want to just see who these, you know, who who are these sociopaths. Right. And what do they actually say that encourages war? And how and how sociopathic are they really? Are they just, you know, do they really believe this? Like in their heart, is this an ideology for them? Or is it to make money on the side from defense contractors and, and you know, um, things like that? Right. So right, it's actually, yeah. it actually mixes together. It's, on some level, it does seem like they really believe it. But they're also motivated by greed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in some sense, like, uh, like ego, um, because, you know, the, the America being this sort of all powerful nation that's supposed to take care of every situation in the world is sort of an arrogant, you know, egotistical projection in in some way. So they're definitely motivated by that as well. But, you know, and there's also the Israel factor where most neoconservatives are also 
leaning towards being, you know, Zionists, where they feel like Israel is also exceptional, that mm-hmm. it's not just the United States, that Israel should be allowed to do, you know, a lot of horrible things because it's in their self-interest and they, you know, should be able to like do, you know, do those things, you know, in the same way America should be able to torture and should be able to, you know, hold people indefinitely and get Gitmo and that right. kind of stuff. Yeah, because when we're facing an enemy who's this fierce and this terrible, then the rules are, are off the board. It's it's anything goes. And, you know, with the Israel situation, it's like, well, look, you know, this is the only democracy that we have in the region and, you know, the only non-Muslim state. So we got to stand strong with our with our partners and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you said a lot of interesting things. And, and I think that uh, one of the things that I really liked about A Very Heavy Agenda was the 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 way that the media is used to slowly drip out this kind of new narrative and transition from, for example, say, uh, fighting the war on on terror, or terror, as uh, Bush used to say, terror, (laughs) Uh, you know, fighting the war on terror to now a new Cold War with Russia. I really liked the way that you presented these kinds of transitions in a very heavy agenda through the 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 thinking of the neocons and their and their kind of uh you know s- surreptitious kind of slithering through things and and transforming and molding to new situations and adapting and then you see how it's presented in the media and how they drip it out slowly and slowly over time and how they stage things to happen with uh, the Liz Wall uh, incident. <laughs> and then you have, uh, you know, these these kinds of new neocons uh, that, that, that engage in these kinds of psyop tactics with uh, James, James uh, Kerchick and and Eli Lake and these new guys. So. Very well done with that, uh, because I think that's a very important uh, piece of the puzzle to understand is when you when it's it seems like when we're sitting, you know, when we're living our lives, when we're going on, you know, the average person throws on the television. They're just like, ah, what's going on in the world today? You know, look at the paper. What's going on in the world today? But the the approach that you take by by examining this and dissecting it in a very heavy agenda you're you're really showing people that look this is calculated this is strategic this is you know they they have these plans they they think these things up and then they slowly kind of put them into place and we slowly kind of become almost like conditioned to just accept it as normal um which Absolutely. is which is which is scary you know it's scary to just be so conditioned now and i wonder um one of my big concerns right now is you know, trying to reach out to people who I who I think, um, you know, and I guess I guess some people on the left, it seems like have kind of strayed away from their top priorities being what I would, cons- you know, what I would consider probably the top priority is to be anti-war, to be anti-spying and, you know, the, just the, the things that I think that you guys have remained, you and, and your sister Abby, of course, who have, who have uh, you guys have focused on and remained strong and true to, you know, the stuff that, that we've seen. And, and now it seems like, what's going on? Do, do people still care about this stuff? Or is it the fact that we've just become so confused and so uh, whipped up about other kinds of things that it's hard to, to form maybe like a big anti-war coalition? Or, or do you think maybe that there's, there's going to be a resurgency now? How, how do you see that kind of uh, playing out? Uh, well, 
it's it's kind of depressing. <laughs> I you know, know. I actually, I, when I, I think I about it, because it you're, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I feel <laughs> well, the same way though. I really do feel the same way. So uh, yeah, please. No, you're totally right though. I mean, the left completely dropped the ball in terms of um, you know the anti-war energy, and I would I like to go back to, and I I think we talked about this briefly um, over DM a while back about how I think the turning point was obviously in a large way, it was Obama because, um, there was a hatred, a simmering hatred that never went away during the Bush administration from the left and from a a strong anti-war contingent of the left. And it sort of culminated when Cindy Sheehan, um, went down and basically camped out near Bush's ranch, um, in Texas. And they called it Camp Casey named after her dead son who died in Iraq. And she became the face sort of of the anti-war movement back then. And when Obama got into office, um, the, the groups move on.org, um, these, all these sort of democratic, you know, you know, at the time they seem more grassroots. Some of those organizations didn't seem like they were, you know, Soros ran or controlled by the democratic party. But she learned very, she got a, basically a crash course in how this engine worked when as soon as Obama got in, she continued her, her, her message, you know, stop the wars, stop the torture, you know, close Gitmo, basically all the same things Abby and I talk about on a regular basis. And she found out very quickly that the, basically all these organizations tried to sort of shun her and kind of brush her under the rug and, and kind of turn down the amplitude on her, you know, megaphone. And once she saw that happening, you know, she, she kind of broke away from those groups, um, and continued on her own, uh, speaking out against Obama's wars and speaking out against all the horrible shit he was doing with the drone wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and she found herself shunned and ostracized by the same people that propped her up in the first place. And it was because this political engine, it was more important for them, you know, to sort of roll out the red carpet for Obama, this wait and see attitude, this hope and change, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, and, uh, and I think that that in large part really created enormous irreparable damage on the left where way too many people (laughs) just sort of sat back and waited to see what Obama was going to do and then never really spoke up when he just continued all these Bush policies. Um, and I think that's sort of set a lot of the Bush era into stone. I mean, once once you have two eight-year presidencies, two two-term presidencies basically continuing a war on terror, you know, which is which is an illogical premise to begin with, it's kind of it's set in stone at that point. So it's I think that's really where the left failed. But I I mean, I'm I I guess I'm kind of a purist in this sense where I've always thought that the left in terms of being a strong anti-war force had always, um, was always sort of standing on a fundamentally problematic foundation because the primary argument for not wanting to go into Iraq was that they didn't have WMDs. But I always like to think, well, what if they, let's just say Iraq did have all the WMDs Bush claimed he did. Now, would that mean a lot of these people would be for that war then? Right. Because that's the primary talking point that Bush lied about WNDs and he did, but 
if Saddam had WMDs, it was still not a reason to invade his country. It mm -hmm. still was a completely immoral, horrible thing to do. Yet the left never really made that the primary talking point. Oh, that's um, a good point. And then he, that's a very good point. Yeah. And you can even go back before. Why is the Afghanistan war something that gets so little attention? Um, and that was something that always bugged me about the anti-war left was that Iraq took the focus and it was always kind of more passively accepted that, yeah, it's not a great thing that we invaded Afghanistan, but it was sort of turning it actually. And you might remember this from when Obama ran and John Kerry in 2004, that he called Iraq the dumb war right. in opposition to Afghanistan being, I guess, what they thought was the smart war, mm -hmm. you know, a war to invade a country to find one man and destroy some al-Qaeda training camps that later mission creeped into essentially regime change to get rid of the Taliban. That was never the original mission in Afghanistan. It was to catch bin Laden, yet we let him escape through the Torbor Mountains to Pakistan. So it wasn't. So if that's why we invaded Afghanistan, we completely fucked it up. And, right. you know, and people out there have seen Power of Nightmares. Um, there really wasn't very much for the U.S. troops to do once they got there. They didn't even find any al-Qaeda. Um, they had people from the Northern Alliance turning in anybody that looked Arab and claiming they were al-Qaeda. Um, <laughs> and that's how the system worked in, you know, the first, like, 100 days in Afghanistan. They were just rounding up prisoners. Many of them were, like, neighborhood rivalries and things like that between the local Afghanis. So it, it, it's, I think that we really need to go back and analyze all of these wars and even analyze um, why Putin is able to do what he's doing in Russia and how the U.S. essentially greased the skids for all that, too, with Boris Yeltsin. Mm -hmm. I mean, Putin was Boris Yeltsin's successor, essentially, and we let Boris Yeltsin assassinate countless people. Um, he actually shelled the parliament with tanks while he was in office, and Clinton and the U.S. establishment was completely on board with it. We thought Boris Yeltsin was the greatest man in the world. Um, and it was really only because Boris Yeltsin was willing to be on the same page as the United States. Right. Putin is obviously not. So we can't, you know, that that's when the propaganda starts, is when a world leader essentially starts, you know, standing up to the United States. Um, oh, when a world leader actually has his own thoughts and opinions about maybe how his own his country should be governed without outside influence. Wow. You know, imagine that. Imagine someone having freedom of uh, of expression and thought and control of their own situation. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable. And it's pretty blatantly obvious, at least to me. I mean, I think that. It's it's funny when I see you know I I'll, I'll watch clips of Putin you know talking and, and things like that and look you know don't get me wrong I think that you know look all politicians are obviously you know politicians they they're they're gonna be the same I think across the board they're none of them are, are angels none of them are tr total truth tellers they all engage in kind of devious things and th and of that nature but. You got to listen to some of the things that these people say, and and when you listen to it, and it makes sense, and it actually adds up after you do the research. But oh no, you can't have that opinion because what are you a commie now? You know, it's a uh, it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's pretty crazy the level of psychological warfare that's deployed. I think, uh, and, and that that's something. I think that's something that maybe gets a little overlooked or not talked about. You know, we talk about fake news and and all this kind of stuff. 
But really, I mean, when you have, you know, Bill Crystal of the Weekly Standard, you know, writing pieces and, you know, people, these kinds of neocon people that you mention in your documentary, you know, film, you have them kind of spreading sort of like, you know, it's fake news, you know, just, just, just spreading this kind of stuff and getting people engaged in, in, in a kind of uh, mental uh, frame of mind, right? So when, when they do mm-hmm. execute these things, that the that the the people that you don't see as many people out in the streets as there as there used to be, or you know, as at least concerning the the war anti war message. Yeah, and you you said something earlier about how this is some of this is slowly happening in the background, and mm-hmm. I think that's a really important component to this because we've lived through other eras of massive propaganda campaigns that have sort of been easy to detect where during the Iraq war, one of the obvious ones was the sort of the push for, you know, WMDs. And, um, that was, uh, that was, that happened very fast. Um, a lot of people woke up while it was happening and were like, no, 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 no. This is, you're pivoting, you know, you're, you're, you, you said this is about getting the people who did 9-11 and now you're pivoting to Iraq. It was very obvious to a lot of people, unfortunately not everybody, but a lot of people could tell what it it was, you know, it was very blatant. Um, but there's the other kind of propaganda campaign, which I almost think is more dangerous, um, is what we've seen with this wedge that the neocons, um, were, were at the, you know, were, were originally driving the bus on, but not anymore, which is the wedge between Russia and the United States, um, trying to portray Russia as you know, basically in the same way it was portrayed during the Cold War as this evil empire. Right. And, you know, yeah, Putin has done some horrible, horrible shit. I mean, even just if you want to just talk about the anti-gay propaganda law, that was actually something that the neocons deployed almost like a weapon. And and James Kerchick was front and center of that. He was one of the people making the loudest noise about that law. Yeah. Now, Wait, so, so real the, quick, I just want to say, so you say sure. deployed like a weapon. I think this is really important. So just like through the process of this, right? Cause I remember this from uh, watching in the documentary, like, so they have this, this transition where they're like, all right, like we gotta, we gotta make these guys the bad guys again. We gotta paint them in this light. So they're writing pieces, they're doing things. Just walk me through like what that process is like from from the research that you've done and the, and the work that you put out in the documentary. Like how they how they get this stuff going. You know where they 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 put these messages out and then they and they actually deploy these kinds of uh, talking heads to to for their agenda. Yeah, I mean it's a very fascinating um, process because this was I think what Jamie Kerchick and the foreign policy initiative managed to do was seize on um uh i basically identity politics mm. that you know mostly uh come from the left and use it as a weapon to propagandize people and um mm. you know and 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 that's not an uncommon thing these days we saw Hillary Clinton and all of her democratic operatives also deploying identity politics as a weapon, right. basically saying that everybody who, you know, was a Bernie supporter was a Bernie bro and they were mansplaining and they hated women. I mean, we saw this time and time again. Right. So this is, so it's been, it's been used for a while, but I, 
I'd like to think, you know, just based on my research with this Russia stuff, that it really, um, it really kind of exploded with this uh, gay law in Russia, where the neocons didn't seek out Republicans. They didn't go to Breitbart. They didn't go to Fox News, you know, and send Jamie Kirchick on Fox News to talk about the Russian gay law. They went to left media outlets like MSNBC and even uh, Dan Savage from The Stranger. You know, mm -hmm. he might seem like a minor figure. You know, he doesn't really have a, a political influence, but I would argue that he actually does. He has a pretty significant one. I mean, he, yeah, he was he's the got one. an audience, yeah. Yeah, he was the one um, putting together that It Gets Better campaign for the Obama administration or sort of like a gay, um, you know, awareness kind of campaign. So he promoted the shit out of Jamie Kerchick and, and kind of helped solidify him as this liberal hero mm -hmm. of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, Jamie Kerchick went on Russia Today and did a live protest where, uh, ironically, he was actually was asked on Russia Today because he wrote an editorial saying that Chelsea Manning should be executed. And he wrote this in Out Magazine, a gay publication. Um, he's gay. And they basically, you know, they had a neocon uh, write an article about how liberals and gay activists should shun Chelsea Manning because Chelsea Manning is a, tr is a traitor. <laughs> hmm. um, so... Russia Today was asking him on because he was advocating for the point of view that Chelsea Manning should be executed. And instead of talking about it, he just interrupted the broadcast and said that he was there to protest the Russian gay law. So a lot of people fell for this and they were like, yeah, like, you know, this guy is like, you know, really sticking his neck out there and like standing up for gay people everywhere. But the backstory or the, the underneath the surface layer is that Jamie Kerchick was actually a, um, a fellow at the Foreign Policy Initiative, which is Bill Kristol's new neocon think tank that mm -hmm. was rebranded after the Bush administration because, as you said, the neo neoconservative brand had been tainted mm -hmm. and sort of destroyed. So this was, I think, one of their biggest pushes into the zone of liberalism or more left-leaning thought. And I think from there, it really infected it. And the push against Russia was mainly sort of developed and constructed in the zone of, you know, left of spectrum politics. Right. Uh, if you think about it, um, they didn't really try to get people on the right wing to, to, you know, think Putin was the greatest evil. And we kind of saw a split where now when you see polling, it's the Democrats, um, who are more concerned about Russia than Republicans. A lot of Republicans actually admire sort of you know, Putin's strength or whatever. Like, I mean, that's actually become sort of a thing. So um, it's very much, and this, and back to you saying this is a slow motion process. This is what's so dangerous about this is it's been going, there's been a slow, I would almost describe it as moving the ball down the field, mm -hmm. you know, without anybody noticing, build to make people feel like Russia is what we should be focusing on and that Russia is sort of the, the greatest threat right now. Um, and that's, I mean, that's very, very troubling because I don't think that, and, and you know, that's different from the Iraq WMD thing, which happened very fast and sort of in a very intense way. But I actually think this sort of Russia hacking the elections, Russia hacking the DNC and costing Hillary the election is sort of the 2016 version of the WMDs. Right. But the difference is we've been primed for 
over three years before that to feel like, oh yeah, of course they did it. You know, like I mean, nor- regular people, um, it's all they they intuit that because they've been primed to think that Russia is this ultimate evil and that Putin is omniscient and he's manipulating things all over the world, which actually really is it's a projection. That's what we do. <laughs> that's what the United right. States does. So <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I mean, yeah, and ultimately. I think all of this is designed to take our focus away from the our, the evils of our own country. Right. Because as long as we have some kind of outside enemy to project all of our discontent on, then it's just going to make it easier for people to accept what our government's doing. You wow. know, because yeah. our government doesn't poison journalists or whatever they say or, you know. But I mean, you could argue that the anthrax attacks is very suspicious. And that's something that I've investigated quite heavily where I I do think that our government actually used a bioweapon um, to uh, create a chilling effect and and to grease the skids for the Iraq war. But you'll never hear that, you know, anybody pundits here say that. It's all about Putin kills journalists. Right. Um, you know, Putin, Putin does this and that. We killed a ton of journalists in Iraq. Um, Al Jazeera and Al Arabia TV got directly bombed, even though we knew where they were. Mm-hmm. So what was that? Was that us killing journalists or... Was that an accident? You know, yeah. of course, it's a foregone conclusion that Putin just, you know, Putin's directly involved in all these murders. And that's kind of the way that, you know, that, that is people just accept that now. And maybe he, you know, maybe he is involved in some of those murders. I'm not disputing that entirely out of hand. I'm just saying that there's a double standard. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think I think it's it's, uh, you know, I think it's part of, like you said, the priming. You know, it's like we've been primed to just kind of accept the things that uh, have been have been being, you know, that are being blasted out through all the mediums that we go and consume uh, information and media and things like that. So we get this priming that happens. And then there's also this psychological effect of like, you know, kind of like a Stockholm syndrome where you, you don't you don't necessarily want to accept the fact that you're being ruled by sociopaths and murderers, you know, it's like, uh, you know, no, no, our guys are good because we have a tradition of democracy and we have a tradition of, of freedom and, you know, we're the greatest country. And it's just this kind of repetition where you repeat these mantras and it's, it's, you know, the, the priming effect that happens is, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing where it really, it really takes a lot to kind of, uh, crack somebody out of the, out of that shell and, and try and make them see things like you say, like uh, with with your podcast, Media Roots, you know, it's reporting from outside of uh, party lines, you know, because I mean, this is really what what this is about. I mean, this isn't this isn't really a, about parties and, and things like that. This is really more about a specific agenda that's being laid down, you know, for for this empire that we live in. You know, we live in an empire, whether we, you know, we want to admit it or not. That that's that's the case, and you know, sometimes you know when we talk about Oh yeah, there's a bipartisan agreement. Isn't that wonderful? You know, people tend to think like, "Oh, that's wonderful. Look at this: the left and the right, Democrats and Republicans coming together. This is what America is all about." And it's like, well, that, I mean, that's not necessarily inherently good just because people are agreeing. Like, if they're inherently, you know, if they're agreeing on on bombing and killing people, it's uh, that's not necessarily something that we want them to be coming to to an agreement on. But uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that um, 
I think it's it's definitely we definitely live in interesting times, and I think that a lot of people, especially people who are all around our age, have grown up with this just being the norm, you know. So it's kind of like a fish in water kind of thing, you know. It's like, well, we, this is we've always had this war on terror. We've always had these kinds of things happening, so we can't really imagine what it what it's like to be outside of the water. You know, this is this is what we've what we've been swimming in for so long. But I, I really want to try and like just kind of shift things back to, a I guess, what I would consider to be a proper perspective. You know, uh, either you align yourself with people who are for war, for intervention or, you know, for all these things or, or for peace. You know, there's other ways of doing things. And I think a part of what I'm doing with this show, Mike Delic, is kind of trying to decondition people to that. You know, di- like to, uh, you know, br- shatter that mold, that conditioning, and, and just bring people back to, to something that maybe we can all find common ground on, that we can all agree on, you know, that maybe maybe being an empire and being the police of the world and going around imposing our will isn't necessarily the best strategy. I think we can find common ground on that, don't you think? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I I try to stress that as often as I can. I mean, there's been... You know, we've been divided so much. Things are so polarized right now um, that it seems impossible to do that. But I think I think actually right now is a good opportunity because Trump is disappointing a lot of his base Mm -hmm. um, after this bombing of Assad's base in Syria. And I think that we are seeing right now possible turning point where Trump could go, you know, full neocon. It seems like it's going there right now. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, it's, it's, and it almost, I guess it seems almost completely impossible for, you know, people on the left to sort of have solidarity with anybody in the alt-right or, or even libertarianism. But I think, I think it's actually a lot easier, um, to find solidarity between, you know, because, because libertarianism has always been, traditionally anti-interventionist and uh i think that a lot of those people are are much more savvy um than than most of the trump sort of contingent the the base of his voters and i think that's a bridge that can be used um to to form solidarity um and i already tried to do it i'm i'm more on the left but um you know i'll try to find any libertarian i can that sort of shares my passion on this front because um it's extremely important and and I think there's not enough of us out there and that's really the tragic thing is right um, we just need to be loud and and persistent and um, and find other people like us because we're 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 there's a there's not very many um, and there's a lot of people who you know will try to you know you know they're figureheads of certain movements or you know they 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 walk the walk or they, they talk the talk of being anti-interventionist, but at the heart, they're not, I don't think a lot of these people are really coming at it for the, for the right reasons. You know, it's, it's maybe more of a, you know, for example, one of my examples I use is meddling in Syria. You know, for a lot of people, the line is bombing Assad, which is understandable. Um, but I, I'd like to think, you know, why are we even meddling there at all? Right. Why are we, why are we bombing ISIS? Why are we funding the rebels? You know, why are we allowing that 
at, in, in any form. I mean, it's it's why, why, why so are we why are we not listening to Tulsi Gabbard who come who visits Syria and comes back and tells us there's no moderate rebels there. You know, there's the but for some reason, Dennis Kucinich, Tulsi Gabbard, these kinds of anti-war people in the Democratic Party, they're getting shunned by by supposed left wing networks. They're not getting they're not getting uh the, the kind of uh, respect that they deserve in, in terms of speaking out for this kind of stuff. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the, this is the, this is the problem with this new cold war McCarthyism is when Pete, when you have people like Tulsi Gabbard and Dennis Kucinich saying things now, like this Syrian gas attack could be a false flag. They're immediately pushed into this corner or portrayed as being Putin apologists or they're, or now they're actually, you know, alt right somehow, like Tulsi, like I see people trying to portray Tulsi Gabbard as this, you know, now she's basically a Trump alt right, you know, um, person because really? she's going against the conventional wisdom of her own party and the left. And it's like, hmm. you know, that's, and I, I mean, even, I don't know if you're familiar with like Matt Taibbi, Michael Tracy, you know, these are holdouts who haven't gone along with this Russia hysteria. Right. And because of that, they're being portrayed as being Putin apologists or they're just <laughs> alt-right, you know, somehow. Because, you know, if you don't agree with the Democratic Party's dogma on this Russia stuff, you're that means you're a Trump apologist or you're a Putin apologist. I mean, that's how bad the dialogue has become. I mean, even I've even seen people writing, you know, a hundred part mega Twitter threads trying to explain their they're crazy, which I think is crazy conspiracy theory, essentially saying that Bernie bros were actually Russian bots, you know, that all these Bernie supporters were actually being uh, part of some kind of Russian propaganda campaign. I mean, so it's it's Oof. pretty I think it's pretty dangerous that, Man, that things have gone to that level. Yeah. And yeah. And I yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be speaking out against this stuff right now is risky in the sense that you could be painted that way. Um, but I think it's worth the risk because you just have to remember that that, that, you know, that mindset, that McCarthy, new McCarthyism is, um, is bullshit. And it's, it's, it shouldn't, it, people should not, I don't think it should be a concern. Um, because I mean, it, right now is the time to really speak out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's just, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, that's exactly, it's just like what it's such a mess, you know? I mean, like maybe Alex Jones is right. Maybe we you know, we're with his, the name of his show Infowars. I mean, we got to admit, like, I think we're in a, a, a new, a, a totally new era of warfare that, uh, that we haven't really been exposed to yet because with this, with new technology, with, uh, the exposure of, uh, that people get on a daily basis to, uh, just being bombarded with all sorts of, of things. And, and you talk about this in your documentary, you talk about this kind of psyop, uh, confusion, keeping people confused by, by saying contradictory things, undermining people's perception of the world. So they're, they're never, uh, 
you know they're they're they're, they're never really sure what's going on and 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 I think what we're what we're seeing is a lot of people are just resigned to to just being kind of apathetic and and that's the scariest thing of all is people being apathetic not having any interest I think uh, you know they're just like look it's just it's it's so crazy and it's so confusing I never know what to believe or or who to trust I just don't care anymore you know who and uh, you know and then less people that are interested in care and the the more that these uh, neo hawks uh, neo con hawks and uh, and people can get away with things and and they can just keep marching to their the beat of their own drum pushing this agenda forward. Yeah, I mean the the thing I you know just on a psychological level, um, you know human beings are by, by their nature I think are empathetic creatures. Yeah. You know, like we everybody feels everybody you know has the ability to critically think, and I think that mm-hmm. you know we can't just on a psychological level letting this much murder, mass murder happen under our name on a regular basis and then just pretending like everything's normal and going about our daily lives, it's taking a toll on our mental health. Yeah. And just the, I mean, and if you want to put in a larger frame framework, that's the health of our society. Like it just, I don't think that we can, it's almost like we're running on borrowed time, you know, whether it be accumulating all this karmic debt in terms of the people that we're murdering all over the world for virtually no reason, all the energy we're consuming. I mean, you know, you just look at a state like Florida, um, you know, everybody there has air conditioning turned up all day long. It's kind of like America is, is living in this sort of paradigm of borrowed time and, 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 Mm -hmm. and piling up this enormous karmic debt of, of murder basically. And I think that it's really important, you know, especially if you have kids or, you know, it's, it's like, this is not an example to lead your own life by at all. I mean, and and look at the things people do. I mean, this Cleveland shooter yesterday, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those people who says video games or those kind of things cause mass shooting. But like, I think a lot of these mass shootings are because we're a mentally ill society because a lot of this foreign policy stuff, we're just, we're, that's normalized, you know? That I, I mean, I really believe that. So I think it's I think it's really serious just on a on that level. You know, even if you if you don't even pay much attention, you know, if you don't geopolitics is intimidating and actually like understanding those dynamics, it's it's takes time and it's it's challenging. But just on that basic level, you know, killing in our name, um, it just needs to stop. And it's totally unnecessary. Um, and I and I, you know, there there needs to be a m- much stronger um, movement against it. Yeah. Wow. Robbie, that was great, man. You just said some, some awesome stuff right there. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent because, you know, look, I, you're, you're definitely, uh, a, a, you know, a, a psychedelically, uh, inclined individual. Do you, you've, you've been known to dabble. I, I, I have a show where I talk about psychedelics a lot, but I don't, but the reason why I want to also, you know, I, I talk about this stuff and I bring the psychedelics into the context is because, you know, when I say the word psychedelic, it, it also just, I kind of just mean it in more of an open-minded kind of way, a more empathetic way of living, a more in tune to an energetic frequency and, and, and a kind of a bigger scope of, of seeing the world. And I think you tapped into that just now with what you said about the kind of trauma that we're all experiencing from the energetic uh, kind of uh, just like imbalance or, or something that's happening because all of these terrible things are happening. It, it affects us whether we realize it or not. And I think that um, 
you know, what, what, we, what we may experience on an individual level in our own personal lives is, is something that can be magnified on a macro level to society at large, you know, where, where we're all collectively experiencing uh, abuse and trauma and and kind of we've developed this kind of PTSD almost as like a, as a as a civilization, and uh, it's really a new phenomenon uh, nowadays because of how globally connected we all are. But uh, but you're totally right. I mean, you hit the nail right on the head when you when you're talking about it. It's it's this what I like to what I like to think of as these old world power structures who operate in this fear based mentality who are are distorting natural human um, evolution or progress or just kind of natural human way of living being connected to each other and being empathetic and and and, and that's and that sort of thing in, in a good healthy way uh, healthy relationship with with each other and with our environment and, and and all that kind of stuff and here we have these elements that are heavily distorting that and heavily preying upon people and there's a energetic um, frequency that we don't see. It's not tangible. You can't taste it or touch it, but we can all feel it, and it, and it definitely affects our lives. And uh, and yeah, I think that I think that this is something that's very very serious and that doesn't really get talked about too much. So I think what you just said really kind of sums up where we're at right now. In terms of of dealing with all this stuff, you know, what's going to happen, man? I mean, is this is it going to get to a boiling point where something really bad is going to happen, and and then that's going to cause everybody to kind of jolt out of out of it and really take action and, and realize how important this is going on, or are we just going to be, you know, are we just going to continue to be fed highly advanced uh, propaganda and and keep kind of being confused and and deceived and and like you said the killing that that takes place and the murder that takes place in our name and then we we live in this crazy dystopian world where we're all in bunkers and fema camps and you know which way which which way is it going to go i mean is there hope are you optimistic do you have hope and and if so what what is it going to what's it going to take to kind of overcome this this uh, collective uh, societal cultural psychological trauma well i i definitely have some hope i mean i <laughs> I probably wouldn't even be able to do this if I didn't. Right. Uh, and I think, I mean, it's made me really hopeful uh, to release this film. Um, I, you know, I, I, when I first made it, I thought it was just going to kind of be a blip and, you know, some, you know, certain people would find it interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole thing is seven and a half hours. It's a huge investment for most people in our, you know, short attention span era. But, I was very um, surprised by the reaction that it got and how hungry it seemed like a, so many people were that I that just blew me away. Oh, oh, hungry for uh, the sort of the anti-war message still, um, you know, distilled down to something that, and I tried to you know to present it in a way that was not necessarily partisan, you know, that's kind of attacked everybody at one, I mean, not attack, but, you know, criticize the whole, the whole system. Yeah. Um, and it, I, it may be really hopeful that there is still a hunger. There's a thirst out there for, um, this kind of information. And I think that what's hopeful is that, um, there's a, still a void out there where there's plenty of room 
plenty of opening for people to come out and speak um, strongly against war in all forms, regardless of, of if you're, you know, a Republican or Democrat or left or right. I mean, that's, you know, that that cuts through everything, I think. So it's not, you know, I don't I, I, I just I, I even though I am depressed by the amount of polarization, you know, and the amount of just how divided things are, I still think an anti-war message, it, it, it really does cut through all that stuff. And I think on a universal level, many people all over the country and all over the world can relate to that. It just has to be done, um, you know, a little bit carefully, I guess, because I think that it's, it's, it, there's a lot of traps and pitfalls set up to fall into right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, there one, are. One, what, what, what can you can you talk about? Maybe some of those traps and pitfalls you, that, that people can potentially fall into. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, one of the most obvious ones to me is like this Syria debate mm. is one of the most, I think, difficult ones to navigate because it's so polarized and so manipulated. Where you know you say anything, even remotely, in in defense of or not even in defense of, but if you say something bad about the rebels, you, you're instantly accused of being an Assad apologist, you know, which is to me is cartoonish because it's kind of like, you know, it would be like calling someone who was against the Iraq war a Saddam apologist, um, which, you know, is laughable now, but people, a lot of people, liberals, people on the left are using that as a, as again, a smear tactic against Syrian intervention critics and, and and I think that's a very difficult one to navigate. And if you if you're up for the challenge, you know, go for it. But just be aware of how much disinformation and how much of it is is sort of being manipulated to push people into these corners and make make them, you know, appear to be Russian apologists or whatever. Um, I I'd like to think that the main my main thing with Syria is that we should not be meddling there. We should not be funding the rebels there. We should not be fomenting the civil war there. We largely created ISIS. So even in that regard, um, we're still cleaning up our own mess and we're bombing civilians in the process. So that's the way I like to approach Syria. And but I, I did. Yeah, it's like I think there's 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 definitely traps um, out there. Um, and, you know, the Russia stuff, that's, again, it's the same thing. You're a Putin apologist right. if you don't believe that the you know DNC was hacked by Russia. So all those kinds of things exist. Um, you know, people just need to be aware of them and, and just be ready for smears and attacks um, because they'll come if you get a large enough voice or, or your message out there enough. Um, you'll start getting attacked. It's, it's inevitable. Um, but don't let that, uh, you know, dissuade you away from doing it. Um, as long as you know that you're, you know, you're on the right side. So, yeah, well, that's, 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 a, that's a powerful message right there. As long as you know that you're on the right side, because look, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, CNN is, is probably not going to call me up or you up to come on and talk about, uh, you know, foreign policy or something like that anytime soon. I, I, I don't think, but, uh, and you know, and if they do, it'll be like a one a, a a minute and thirty seconds, and they'll you know just make it how they want it to be. But uh, yeah, I think the real the real kind of awakening that has, still has to come is is coming from the the internet, online, through podcasting, through documentary series like yours that you released, and and um, 
and with uh, alternative news uh, networks and things like that. Although, you know, then there is the the thing of of like, you know, the, who who do you trust and where do you go and and which which one do you look at it? So it's it's an interesting time that we're that we're really living in right now. I do I do feel that there's a transition happening. I feel that I do feel like the the kind of mainstream media, the older way of doing things, the kind of uh, political establishment that we have is not really going to be able to maintain itself much longer. I don't know how much longer that is, but I think that we are in a good position because we we, we have the truth on our side, right? I mean, we have, and not just the truth, but we, we, we stand in the moral position that we oppose uh, this aggressive, you know, kind of initiation of, of, uh, of, of interventions and violence and, and things like that. Uh, and I think that when you stand on that side of things, that it's a lot easier to communicate your message and, and affect change. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult sometimes when I talk to people who, who still think that, you know, it's okay to just kind of just bomb a, a country as long as it was a targeted strike, you know, and, you know, is uh, oh, of course you're going to have some kind of collateral damage. You know, we we get to we hear these words and and these things repeated. But I think if you're able to strip all of that stuff away and just call it for what it is, uh, and stand on that, that I think the message comes out a little stronger, uh, and hopefully we can have a little bit more influence into the into the consciousness of of uh, of the public there. And and you know, maybe Trump being elected is a good thing. You know, and, and, and maybe there's a silver lining there, obviously, uh, <laughs> not a good thing, but maybe there's a silver lining there where it will draw people together uh, who have been apart for so long over the past eight years. Um, so may, maybe that that might be a possibility uh, going forward. But I, I think that uh, I think the work that you're doing is 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 fantastic. And I think that uh, you you have maintained the course, you have stayed the course, you've been on point, uh, you haven't really deviated. But what do we what do we what kind of like messaging tactics should we use uh, to people who maybe have deviated from the course or, you know, maybe their priorities aren't really in in line with what we feel that would what, what uh, oh, excuse me what we feel would be kind of the the number one priority how do we how do we message them or how do we kind of approach them you know what what would you say to somebody that that uh doesn't really have this kind of thing on, at, the, at the top of their mind uh how do you kind of approach talking to somebody about joining uh the anti-war movement you know well, I think one one example um, recently that I think has worked a little bit for me is when I'm talking to uh, – there was a moment where a lot of listeners of our podcast, Media Roots, thought that um, because we were so critical of Hillary Clinton um, that somehow we were passively endorsing Trump. Mm. And they were very disappointed to hear that we were just as – you know, aggressive towards Trump as we were towards Hillary Clinton. We thought Hillary was going to win, like a lot of other people did. We thought it was pretty much guaranteed. Right. Um, yeah, I thought that as well. A, I, I, you know what yeah. I, th- I thought, Robbie. I thought uh, I was like, look, Hillary's going to win because, like you said earlier, you know, Kagan endorsed her. Like all these neocons are like, well, we'd probably prefer Hillary. So I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, there's, there's, there's 
strategies lined up. They're going to, they're going to, you know, she's going to win this thing. You know, they might even steal it if they have to, if it comes to that. So I really thought that that was the, the agenda was going to win out. The regime was going to win out. But, uh, anyway, yeah. Anyway, I thought that's what I thought. Now, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 and I got to be honest too. I thought with, what Trump was saying about, you know, because you couldn't really, you know, he would say, I'm going to bomb the shit out of him. And then he would say also, like, you know, I don't think that we should be meddling over there. And so there was like maybe a oh point point nine percent or whatever, just a sm- the smallest percentage possible of, well, maybe he won't be like a, a, a war candidate, you know. But uh, all that has gone out the window, and now it seems that the neocons and the the new neocons and everybody has their their grasp in Trump uh, just the same way that uh, they probably would have if Hillary was was elected. So just wanted to throw that in there, um, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, th- this and this is one of the one of the things I I think had some has had some success for me is people who supported Trump and who voted for him are in a stronger position to change things in his administration than the, the the Democrats and a lot of people on the left who had generated all this, you know, I would argue distractionary hysteria about Trump. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they believed in him in a lot of ways. And I think one of the most important things they could do is hold his feet to the fire um, when he's doing things that, that they don't want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of those turning points came recently when he st- when he bombed Assad. A lot of people, his supporters said that they are no longer supporting him, which I was, you know, I thought was a really hopeful development. Um, and I think that that's one of the problems that people get caught up in is sort of defending your team, defending your guy. Right. When it really ultimately comes down to the policies, you know, is he doing things that you don't like or doing things that you're in moral opposition to? If that's the case... You need to hold his feet to the fire because otherwise it, nothing's going to change. And I think, you know, people don't like doing that because they don't want to feed into sort of, you know, this this hatred towards Trump. I don't I think that's almost irrelevant because it really does come down to is Trump, you know, if you were anti neocon and anti the Bush era and all the the wars that Bush did. Right now, you should be very concerned if you're a Trump voter and Trump supporter, because he, it seems like, um, you know, this idea that Hillary was going to start World War Three um, seemed seemed possible to me before the election. Um, but I mean, why wouldn't Trump also be poised to do that? I mean, we've seen his his just his personality um, is not, you know, it, it seems like it could lead to, to something dangerous in terms of him wanting to, you know, show off, you know, sort of his power or, or American strength. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even just sending this armada to North Korea, like the guy is, seems like he's trying to do all these foreign policy maneuvers in his first hundred days so he can sort of solidify his image in history. I mean, that's the best theory I can come up with. Uh, and I think that's even dangerous. I mean, because that's, if he's doing that, it's just all for ego. You know, he wants to, he's... He's basically inching us closer to World War III in order to make himself look good or, yeah. you know, turn the tide around with the mainstream media. But the neocons are smart enough where even though they talked an enormous amount of shit about <laughs> Trump and a lot of them said that they would never support him, mm. they still want war. They still know 
what happens when an opportunity for war appears and they'll be there rallying behind Trump and encouraging him to do all the all these things that it seems like he might do. Um, it doesn't it, it's no it's not about Hillary. It's not about the Democrats. They just saw that as they're in originally. But this, you know, Trump could create a window of opportunity even larger than Hillary would have created. I mean, we'll just have to see what happens. But I've already seen neocons um, praising Trump recently, especially for his bombing in, in Syria. Right. So this is um, this is they'll they'll find a way to get in no matter what. It doesn't matter to them who's in office. And wow. I think that that's, yeah. you know, the military industrial complex is it's it doesn't care. Um, it's it's all it cares about is making money and finding ways to generate war. Um, and I think that they'll find plenty of those opportunities under Trump. And I and I and I think all of his supporters, um, it's their responsibility to, you know, the ones that are anti-war, it's their responsibility to stand up and, you know, speak out against it at the very least. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. I, you said something in the in, in the beginning of the podcast about how, you know, a lot of these radical fundamental kind of uh, groups and, 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 and things like that, they share this, a similar tone of their ideology is very is, is more is, is more similar than it is different. You know, with you talking about neocons and, and you know, radical like, uh, you know, ISIS people and things like that. Most most people would say, what are you crazy? There's no, no way are these people. Uh, anywhere near being similar, but I I know they are, and I I would assume that you probably uh, could could shed a little bit more light on um, on some of that, uh, you know, just kind of break that down a little bit in terms of uh, what what do these people want? You know, the the agenda is definitely a heavy one, as you put it in your in your in the title of your film. So what is it? What's the agenda? Well, I think it's. This is, I mean, the, the weird thing is for me, I, I mean, and I can't uh, came to this conclusion after making all of these is that I think the agenda comes down to symbolism um, for the neocons. They believe that as long as America is willing to assert itself in this dominant position, um, then it will be able to maintain the sort of world system that, you know, by America being on the top of the pyramid, it keeps the world in sort of a stable place. Um, and the neocons, um, it, it's a, it's all, it's almost like a gamble for them. Every time they're gambling on the fact that as long as America stands up and acts tough and pulls its dick out, you know, in <laughs> every scenario, yeah. then, um, then the other countries are, you know, will, will, are, are likely to back down. That's the, that's their that's their premise. Um, if America pulls away and acts unsure or changes its mind, like in the case of Obama backing down from that original red line in Syria, then that to them is the biggest disaster ever because we're literally not even throwing our chips on the table. We're just not. We're deciding not to throw down. You know, for that round. Um, and to them, they always want to throw their chips down on the table. And bet as high as they can every single time. Mm. They're basically riding on con like just pure confidence and egotism and arrogance, essentially, that Amer it's America's duty to always be the bully on the schoolyard and basically just be like, nope, we're fucking here 
and we're going to tell you what to do. And it doesn't matter if you disagree because we have the most nukes. We have the biggest military. You know, we have the most sophisticated intelligence agencies. So, yeah, do something about it. I mean, that's that is their attitude. Um, and in reality, that's really the attitude of most, I think, D.C. policymakers. Mm-hmm. They have adopted sort of this neoconservative attitude. But the neoconservatives are always one of the things that differentiates them from that more general American exceptionalism attitude is they're always out there. Um, they're, they're, they're almost like a canary in a coal mine where they're going out there testing talking points, testing different aggressive postures to see if the rest of the DC class will bite and sort of go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they're all, they're always taking the most extreme positions. I mean, you know, the neocons who Trump uh, was having advise him were saying that we should preemptively strike North Korea um, during, you know, in his transition team. That is not something most D.C. policymakers believe. But these neocons, um, if they can get the rest of the D.C. class to believe that, then their goal is accomplished. Wow. Um, or if they can just get us to attack North Korea, you know. Um, so, but yeah, there always needs to be, you know, the neocons are smart enough to know where they can't just run roughshod into another country and do something insane without any public support. They need some public support. Um, and I think that's also an important component. And that's where the propaganda campaigns come in. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would just do whatever the hell they wanted to without any regard for the consequences. But they know that the public um, can be a problem if they don't support them. So wow. that's and and that's, you know, that's why that sometimes these propaganda campaigns last two to three years because, it's that important, you know, to sort of wean us into hating Russia. Otherwise, you know, why why send weapons to Crimea? Why worry about, you know, Syria and, and, and working with Putin? You know, we need to hate Russia first for those things to be pressing issues that we need to fund, you know, the Ukrainian uh, government, we, army, I mean, or we need to, you know, um, you know, overthrow Assad, those kind of things. So, right. Uh, like Assad has to go. And it's like, uh, yeah, no one seems to be asking why. Oh, well, he guesses the own people. Uh, oh, OK. And where's the you know, it just it, it, it all happens so fast. And it's like it's like it's almost like the the like America is like, uh, you know, kind of like this guy that just walks into a bar and he's just like that guy's talking shit over there. And like the guy's like, I didn't say anything. It was like. I heard him talking shit. Did you did you hear him talking shit? And someone's like, "Yeah, I heard." All right, cool. Now it's cool to go beat up on him. And it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're just making these accusations and then just rolling uh rolling out uh with our plans." Yeah, and like I mean, you said like you, the the control of the public is because they they got to have that. You know, they they I love this quote from uh, uh I forgot exactly who it's from, but it's from like uh, I think a former like uh, Nazi officer and in, in, you know after World after World War Two at the Nuremberg trials was uh, was saying like he says uh, of course you know the people don't want war but the leaders of the country they can always get the war that they want because in if it's a democracy or a dictatorship it doesn't matter all you have to do is just shape the opinions of the public and the people can be brought to do the bidding of the leaders it's you just have to tell them they're being attacked or there's some kind of fear out there or something that they should be afraid of or worried about and then anybody who is like a pacifist or against it you can just say that they're they're not patriotic and you know demonize them and that they're exposing the country to great danger and that that seems to be the the kind of psychological uh 
tool used uh, still to this day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why part of why I, you know, I think that the the Trump movement and sort of the nationalism um, behind it r- sort of runs in contradiction to the sort of anti-interventionist, anti-war stuff Trump was throwing out. Because on a certain level, it's that arrogance of our, you know, our country has the right to do this mm-hmm. um, that I think fuels a lot of this. And I just think that that needs to be analyzed. You know, it's like, why? Why why does America have the right to do all these things? Right. You know, why don't we reflect when we murder children in other countries, you know, to catch like one guy who is essentially pre-crime, you know, a guy who might commit a terrorist attack. I mean, that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not absurd. It's disgusting. It's, it's horrific. It shouldn't be accepted. So I think it's like you need to peel back these layers to really make people realize that it's not unpatriotic to question these things. It's, it's sort of your duty. I mean, it actually is patriotic to question them because if you believe, yes. you know, if you want to sort of twist around, you know, what nationalism really means. I mean, if you believe in the integrity of this country and you, and you really are, uh, you know, pro America, why do you want America's image to be tarnished like this? I mean, at a certain point, we're going to go down in history as one of the most horrible empires that ever existed. I mean, I, I really believe that, I mean, you know, if America doesn't, you know, if we don't survive this, uh, and I hate to, you know, sound dystopian, but I like, you know, like other great empires of in history, how is America going to be seen in history books, you know, hundreds of years from now, mm-hmm. you know, for dropping the atomic bombs in Japan, um, you know, and turning the Japanese, I mean, having Gitmo, these things are not going to look good. They don't, they don't look good right now, right. but it's like, Without the, I, I think it's hard for people to see outside of that. It's because, and you brought this up earlier. It's because a lot of this has become normalized. Yeah. Um. It just needs to be. It's not normal. Right. And I, I think that's. It needs to be seen for what it is. It's um, it's it's evil, really. Yeah, it is. It's evil. It's anti-human, <laughs> and it's and and we've and we're we're living in this this crazy time of, of uh, of so many things in our culture, so many things in our society that 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 are, seem to go against the grain of our natural human uh, health and well-being and 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 power and energy of, of who we really are as a species and what we're really capable of. And you know, you see it with uh, whether it's uh, agriculture and big pharma and and all this kind of stuff. You know, pollution, the environment. It just seems like we're really shitting on ourselves in a lot of different ways and and just kind of instead of cleaning the shit up we're just like you know just just trying to put a different shirt on or whatever so we you know we don't see the shit so much you know but really what it is 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 just this complete uh kind of checking out and 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 just letting all this stuff happen you're right i think we're kind of complicit in a way Almost like what's going on, like you said something earlier about how you're like, look, this is being done in our name. You know, like when when 59 Tomahawk missiles get 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 launched into Syria. That's those are, you know, from America, you know, that's that's hey, that's I'm an American. So that's 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 being these people are are taking action in my name and, and, and in your name and in all of our names. And it's in a way it's like, Why? 
<laughs> you know, like we didn't, <laughs> we didn't, uh, nothing happened to us. Nothing really happened here. I mean, we, we didn't really give approval for this to happen, but it's being done. And I always try and like break it down on like a smaller level. Like if you, if you don't, if you imagine like, okay, we live in this big country and this, you know, there's all these crazy systems and institutions and, and things like that. But if we were just like 10 people on like an Island and one guy decided to just go launch a bunch of missiles, uh, at someone else, we'd be like, dude, what are you doing? You know, like you're, you're being a dick, right? You're doing, you're being a dick right now. Like, why are you doing that? You know, we didn't approve that. We didn't authorize that. We would hate that person for doing something on, uh, on behalf of us that we didn't really want. But yeah, you know, like a lot of people are checked out and a lot of people aren't really fully informed about the truth. And then you also have this other thing, which I, I feel happens a lot is you get in these conversations about, what we're doing and America's role in the world, 9-11, foreign interventionism, you know, protecting freedom, democracy, and this sort of thing. And, and eventually it devolves into a religious argument. And that's where that's where it come it becomes a little bit more tricky because you think you, you have people making the argument, look, there's these uh, radical Islamic terrorists and they, you know, their 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 version of, of their religious texts basically say you know kill people who aren't like us and death to america so it's really it's a religious war now you know this is this is where we have the the, it gets a little bit thicker into the weeds what's your take on this i mean do you think like there's people who are really true believers i have a tendency to think that there are you know these kind of fundamentalist believers and that's kind of where i was getting at a, a little bit earlier when i was talking about the the ideologies and how they're similar you know i think you have these people that are true believers and that do think this you know that with american exceptionalism let me see if i could try and break this down a little bit so it's uh, a little bit easier to uh, to explain the the use of american exceptionalism and patriotism combined with kind of a religious duty uh, a kind of moral duty or or to 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 preserve christian values or that sorts of thing is that that sort of thing the, those things get kind of interwoven and used as an excuse to go and do all the things that we do across the globe and i would argue that i think that in terms of islam that you have the same sort of thing happening where a lot of these people are getting used. They're getting, you know, they're using the, the book of the Quran, they're using their religious teachings, and they're twisting them, and they're getting these people all worked up in a frenzy of patriotism and religious duty and honor and something bigger than themselves. So when, when the conversation, you know, a lot of times if I say that to people, they'll be like, I can't believe that you're comparing American patriotism and Christianity uh, to Islam and terrorism. But I'm sorry to say, actually, I'm not sorry to say, I see them as one and the same. What's the difference? What do you uh, What do you have to say about <laughs> that? <laughs> well, no, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just, I was just kind of doing this thought experiment last night and I was kind of joking when I was saying it, but I think it's worth, um, is worth going through is basically when, you know, when you watch an ISIS video and I don't really recommend anybody watch it, watch an uncensored ISIS video, but it, it's, it's fucking, I mean, it's, it's absolutely brutal, you know, and it's done in this sort of, you know, celebratory fashion with high production values, you know, they'll, you know, blow like four prisoners heads off 
you know, kneeling on the ground with like, um, extremely high quality HD video and, you know, decent cinematography. Um, and you know, they, they kill Christians. Uh, I think that that, um, sort of created a new, new sort of hatreds towards not just ISIS, but the Muslim world at large in, in America, um, that ISIS was actually like, you know, specifically targeting, um, Christians and things like that. Um, but I, I always, I, you know, if we actually saw video presentations like ISIS makes about what America does, um, when they kill people, like just one example, imagine something that looked like an ISIS video with five, you know, Muslim guys tied up or chained up. And then an American jet plane, you know, flies, you know, in the sky and just drops a missile on them on video, mm. you know, and just obliterates them. I mean, is that really, you know, is, an, is what ISIS is doing really that, you know, is it, is it worse? Is it somehow more evil? I mean, I think we really need to look at, like, we just don't see here um, right. the video evidence in sort of this celebratory fashion of the murders that we you know, that our weaponry causes. But if we, if we got to see video and photography of all the people that we've killed, um, I think it would become very clear very quickly that what we're doing is, you know, hundreds of times at the very least worse than anything ISIS is even remotely capable of. I mean, there's, there is no comparison really. Um, there's, you know, there's a savagery, there's a brutality that ISIS has that, you know, harkens back to a to an earlier you know period of our history but it's like why is this tech technological sophistication and this calculated coldness any more morally superior really mm. you know that we do yeah um i mean it's it, it's almost you know and you're comparing the ideologies i mean in some ways isis makes more sense to me than what we do and what we accept because you know, there is a more strong Islamic undercurrent in those parts of the world. And, you know, there is more religious fundamentalism that's much more ingrained historically. You know, we're really a baby nation, right? in a sense, in a historical timeline where, you know, I mean, it doesn't really, there's no reason. <laughs> like, there's not even really, the ideology is almost, it's secular in the sense that, like, you know, this neoconservative American empire ideology, it is a form of fundamentalism, but it isn't even based on like, you know, cultural traditions dating back, you know, thousands of years or, you know, hundreds of years. It's just, it's just based on pure arrogance and power, really. Right, right. If you think about it, yeah. which is, um, and, and I think that, you know, the, the movie Power of Nightmares by Adam Curtis does an amazing job of comparing the way that the Bush administration operated with the sort of Al-Qaeda Islamic fundamentalism, because at the heart of it, the neocons had a, a symbiotic relationship with Islamic fundamentalists. And I, not just Islamic fundamentalists, I mean like actual terrorists. I mean, there's, and I think this is something that needs to be said is there are a lot of Islamic fundamentalists who don't or aren't terrorists. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, just like there's a lot of other religious fundamentalists who aren't terrorists, right? but the, the neocons depended on them because as the title of Adam Curtis's movie, it's the power of nightmares. If neocons could keep, you know, scheming these, these, these terrifying nightmares, like what if a terrorist blew off a nuke in New York or, you know, what if a terrorist brought sarin gas on a subway 
all these sort of nightmare scenarios they're concocting um, wouldn't have been believable if it wasn't for an organization like Al Qaeda. And they can, you know, continually use them. And now they use ISIS to be like, well, what if they do this? What if they do that? You know, what if? So it's mm-hmm. it's almost like they depend on that energy for their own power because without that power of of nightmares, um, what do the, what do they really need have? They need to make us afraid. Um, and and I think that that's, you know, while their ideologies definitely have a similar fundamentalism, I think that's almost a more important dynamic that it's like. They 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 need the neocons need either scary terrorists as scapegoats or or Russia and that's why we've seen you know this sort of rise of Russia hysteria because on some level Islamic terrorism is not generating enough fear <laughs> for them to accomplish their goals sounds hard to believe but I think that that's <laughs> true they they want to keep pushing the envelope even further and right. further. And more intensely, and they need to throw Russia into the mix to do that because we've, you know, America, um, I think during the Cold War, we were almost at our most vulnerable mentally. We were very malleable. We were very afraid. You know, there were there were duck and cover drills in elementary schools for nukes, yeah. um, air raid sirens, you know, air raid shelters. So there's that ingrained um, trauma and and neocons are like, well, why not just bring out that trauma again? You know, that was incredibly useful fear, and we could use that again right now. You know, so I think that's. I mean, I think that's kind of what's going on. And you know, I mean, I've just in the last week I've seen people talking about nukes again. You know, because of North Korea, and it's just like, my God, like we're we really are already back in in that mentality that very vulnerable mentality yeah we are Um, yeah yesterday i was at uh just the easter uh, sunday gathering with uh, some family and stuff and and that came up someone uh, was like oh uh you know i i this this guy kim jong is crazy and he's got nukes i don't know what's gonna happen we're all gonna get blown up i'm like yeah i don't know i mean like i don't know (laughs) i thought it just (laughs) seems like there's this it's like that as soon as I hear something like that, it, it my mind triggers to, oh okay, like the fear, the fear mongers are winning. This is the this is the route that they're taking now, because yeah, I mean you're right, it is. It's like this ideology of fear, this this uh, this selling of fear. And I just gotta say, I also like really love in in your film that went like showing the the meticulous planning and the and the change of direction that things will go the use of the media how they slowly drip this out i you know i said this a, a few times but it really is so important to kind of hammer home because if you if you study this stuff and and you know maybe a lot, some people don't have time to study this stuff but if you watch a very heavy agenda uh, your film you'll see how they start to roll out these new plans, and I think there was a, a, a piece in there where you you showed uh, Kagan uh, wrote a letter to uh, was it was it Clinton talking about how we need to overthrow Saddam right in like ninety eight. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yep. So so it's like they 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 have these plans and they start these things and then they they kind of the gears are in motions and the wheels are turning, and they're very. 
uh, astute at, at adapting to the to the changing cultural climate, and <laughs> you know, oh, ISIS isn't scary enough anymore. All right, let's go to Russia. You know, oh man. Well, we uh, we're at about an hour and a half right now. I think. Uh, you know, this has been a great conversation. I really enjoy speaking with you. You seem to have such a wealth of information about all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I guess we're, we'll, we'll wrap up soon. Um, and, uh, in closing, what, what's, uh, what, what, what message do you want to give to, uh, to people to, you know, about this stuff? Because, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, this is the, the show that, that I'm doing now with this, with this podcast, you know, it's really, you know, I'm, I'm touching on all kinds of things, but I, I think that, that pol- we can't leave politics out of the equation, and especially when it comes to being anti-war. We can't just, like, you know, forget about this and, and go just take mushrooms every day and think everything's going to be okay. You know, I think that it all plays into the uh, – play. It, it, it's, all, it's all whole. You know, uh, there's a holistic – approach that needs to be addressed here in terms of if we want to live in a better world, if we want to see more peace in our lifetime, you know, what, what are some of the things that you want to say to people? Like, what's your message? Uh, you know, just like give your, give your, uh, John Galt speech. No, (laughs) I mean, I think, uh, well, I think what you just said is, is really valuable about, you know, having a holistic approach to this. It needs to be, it can't just be you know, I'm not, well, actually, I think it's fine, you know, if someone wants to just be strictly an anti-war activist, mm-hmm. and I don't mean this in a disparaging way at all, it is in some ways, it's it's low-hanging fruit. It's very apparent, once you, it's, an, I, you know, learning the geopolitics and the dynamics of that's a little challenging, but just knowing on a fundamental moral level that what we're doing is wrong, I think is very easy for most people to grasp. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the, you know, big things standing in the way of that is sort of this patriotism and American exceptionalism that that's seen as if you're anti what, you know, war, anti what the U S military is doing that somehow makes you anti patriotic. You know, I, I don't believe that, but I think it's standing in a lot of people's way. But I think that, um, it's there's so many different aspects to what's going on right now that you can no longer just say this is the government war machine, you know, and that needs to be stopped. And once that's, you know, stopped or we put the brakes on, then we're going to be sort of fine. We're going to be able to, you know, breathe and, and kind of chill because now we have these, you know, megalithic international corporations that are working hand in glove with the United States government and all these other countries around the world. Um, that are doing horrible things along with us. I mean, uh, you even have, uh, you know, and and they're not even just trying, they're not even part of the military industrial complex. They're also part of the media landscape. I mean, they're the ones helping and aiding this propaganda along. I mean, in some ways directly, you know, um, taking scripting from the government and passing it on to us. And I think it's also really important to, you know, look at which corporations are really a part of this, you know, which defense contractors are playing into this, you know, and that's, that's easy to see. It's a little harder to detect which media companies are also a part of this. I mean, it's obvious to point to CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, you know, those are all the big ones. But I think that the propaganda 
as you pointed out earlier, has become more sophisticated and it's we're in a new era of information war where it's full spectrum now. It's the, the propaganda is not just coming in through the mainstream media. It's also coming in through the alternative media now. The alternative media became, you know, it it blew up over the last five or six years. It's became it's become something that people trust more than the mainstream media. Well, guess what? The government's not stupid. They know that. <laughs> They've already found a way to infiltrate it. Mm-hmm. And if and I and I don't I'm not going to accuse anybody specifically. You know, I I have my own theories on who's sort of a useful idiot for government propaganda right now. But you know, one easy to point to example is Trump has done a wonderful job. Um, and I think uh, Dave brought this up on an episode of Part of the Problem. You guys had a discussion about this conspiracy dog whistling that right. Trump did. Yeah, where he was able to shore up a untapped into contingent of the American voting public of all these people who are more inclined to believe in conspiracies, some of them true, some of them not true. You know, there's, there's a different, you know, there's a, there's a wide swath of conspiracy theory culture online going all the way from crazy, you know, completely ridiculous things to conspiracy fact. Yeah. So flat earth to nine 11 was an inside job. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Trump, one, one great example of how he did this is he actually said, if you vote for me, you will find out who knocked down the World Trade Center. Mm. And for a lot of conspiracy people, that is like, that's the, you know, that's red meat. That's like, that's, that's to them. Like, they're like, oh my God, like this guy's gonna, you know, he's gonna uncover 9-11. And, um, you know, uh, there, there, there were some huge alternative media outlets, um, around that help propel that message that have a huge audience of conspiracy theorists that were sort of telling their audience vote for Trump and he is going to find out what really happened on 9/11. Yeah. AKA he's a secret 9/11 truther and right. like that um that's really really powerful and I think that that needs to be addressed now. It's like we've moved into a new era where you know the government and the, and the deep state and the military industrial complex are using outlets like the Daily Beast, BuzzFeed, Vox, you know, these smaller outlets, their vice even you right. know, puts out propaganda yeah. um, about Russia, about Syria. Mm-hmm. They never bring on anti-war leftists to have a voice about so Syria, sad. Russia. It's so sad because I thought they were one of the good ones. Uh, well, yeah, vice. Yeah. I mean, vice has the appearance of being this very hip liberal, you know, lefty, young, you know, millennial outlet, but it's like their political content is surprisingly in line with the sort of neoliberal, yeah. neoconservative agenda. Mm-hmm. And that's that's also, that makes things more complicated. But at the same time, now you have a presidential candidate who's utilized the alternative media conspiracy circuit to get elected. And now he's u- still using it as president to put out his own propaganda. Um, and that's, and that's very dangerous as well, because as you have a lot of these Trump supporters pulling away from him now because of his Syria bombing, Trump is using his connection to all these alternative media outlets to put out a counter message saying that he's still, you know, that he's being manipulated by neocons inside his administration, you know, to want to send troops into Syria and stuff. So even if he does send troops into Syria, it's somehow not his fault. Um, and I just think, you know, I may have gone off a little bit of a tangent, but I, I just think it's really important to look at all f- forms of media 
with skepticism Mm -hmm. and really, you know, there are, you know, there's definitely some media's outlets that put out very consistent, trustworthy material, but just because something is saying things that you want to hear doesn't necessarily mean that it's, that it's, you know, a truth telling outlet. So I think that it's, it's, you got to be really careful with where you get your information from. And when it comes to like, you know, if you're into, if you're interested in an in anti-war philosophy and you want to stop these wars or you want to see them stopped, um, being sort of, you know, a sycophant for any politician, whether it be Trump or Hillary Clinton or even Bernie is just, I think it's a dead end. I think that it, you need to address the policies and criticize the policies regardless of who you like or, you know, what your affiliation is, because, Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. We're just going to keep fighting with each other and, uh, you know, going back and forth and keeping this divide going. But anti-war is definitely something that we can form a bipartisan consensus on, just like the neocons that do it with pro-war. Right. You know, if they can do that, why can't we do the opposite? So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 so true. And it's like you're right. I mean, how much longer are we going to keep going in this cycle? You know, it's like I I almost feel like I'm in this like weird kind of like Twilight Zone, like Black Mirror episode where where like the (laughs) same it's the same show. Like it's just keeps repeating, you know, like the same kind of lies, the same kind of situations are happening, you know, the same kind of things in different ways, of course. And and yeah, that was a beautiful breakdown of 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 what was going on with Trump and the alternative news and and all that stuff, because I think is. It's so true, you know, and it's like, you know, the, you, you see these new media uh, websites and, and things online. You're like, oh, cool, like a, a new kind of millennial focused uh, outlet. And they seem to be kind of having their finger on the pulse of the culture. But then they seem to be so tone deaf to, to a bunch of other stuff. And just like you said, towing the party line as far as the uh, foreign policy and, and that sort of thing and, it's, and propaganda. It's pretty sad. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a mess out there. We got to <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. But but uh, anyway, yeah, we're, we'll wrap things up there. I mean, I think that um, and, th- and for, you know, thank you for coming on, Robbie. Really appreciate it. And uh, it, it was a pleasure Thanks to talk me, to you. Man. Yeah. So 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 tell people where they can go and find you uh, at at your, uh, you know, I know MediaRoots.org is, is one place to go. And then, uh, you know, just tell, give them all your plugs and, and all the websites and, and places they can find you and follow you. Sure. Uh, yeah. So so MediaRoots, the podcast I do with my sister, Abby Martin, um, it's we, we try to put out an episode a week. Um, sometimes we're, we, you know, we, we flake out and we only get out maybe two episodes a month. Um, but flake out, you liberal <laughs> Californians, come on, man, get on the ball. <laughs> and, uh, you can support us there on, on Patreon, um, you know, th- for, for the podcast. Uh, and then, uh, she also does a, a solo show that I, that I do the music for. And sometimes I, you know, I contribute to in other ways called empire files, Mm -hmm. which is sort of like a 30 minute mini documentary, um, show that she produces for Telesur and, uh, yeah, very heavy agenda. Um, there are DVDs still available of it. Um, I sell it as a, a set individually or even as like a box set. Um, you know, you can get this nice, pretty little (laughs) box sleeve to put them all in. 
Um, that version comes with an extra bonus DVD with about three hours of additional stuff I couldn't put in the movie. So it's actually ten and a half hours of content if you get that. Hmm. Um, and uh, and you could also watch it on Vimeo.com. Uh, so if you go to their on-demand section of Vimeo, um, it's uh, it's on there. All three parts are on there. And uh, it's been a while actually since I've been asked to talk about the movie. So I think um, for your listeners, it would be cool. And if you're okay with this, to offer a promo code. Oh yeah, um, just for your listening audience. Um, so might as well just call it your show name. So if people type in Mike Adelic in the in, as the promo code at checkout. Oh, when you click rent or buy all on the Vimeo link, um, you'll get fifty uh, percent off. Uh, of the awesome. whole trilogy or you can do it on an individual part if you don't want to watch the whole thing cool man thanks for doing that that's that sounds really good yeah and i like i said like i highly recommend it i mean it's just such a it's very unique there's not there's nothing really out there that's like that and 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 it's just like so specific in terms of looking at these people that are behind the scenes i mean it's unbelievable how you just you know really constantly uh, you know, stay focused on these individuals, Victoria Newland and Kagan and Crystal and Wolfowitz and these guys and the, even the new guys that we were just talking about, uh, Kerchik and, and the others. And it's it's really it's really um, it, it's it really paints a, a very clear picture and an in depth detailed picture and analysis of what's happening behind you know at these think tanks and and with this foreign policy and the and you know aptly named heavy agenda that's been going on so uh kudos to you for for making such a compelling uh, interesting and, and in-depth uh film uh series and uh yeah we'll we'll put those links down there uh, at the uh, show notes and whatnot and uh yeah just thanks again man for coming on i really enjoyed this discussion and uh guys go check out robbie's work and, and follow him on twitter uh at fluorescent gray right that's your your twitter twitter yeah handle. yeah yeah. I'm on Twitter and uh, and yeah and thanks thanks again and uh, to everybody out there anti-war is obviously the only way to go doesn't matter if you're left right center green blue pink purple whatever you could be a midget you could be uh, <laughs> you could be eight feet tall you could be anything just oppose war all right till next time peace everybody thank you terrorism has long been a tactic Modern technology allows a few small men with outsized rage to murder innocents on a horrific scale.